Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I'm good Some bad hat hair. It's a cool show. Get any of that? Not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful from your life. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The White Lotus Season 2. And to do that, we are joined by none other than the one and only Paul Mitzi of the Swapcast podcast. Paul, how you doing in Adelaide? Yeah, I'm, g- I'm going well. Uh, I'm feeling a bit bittersweet since this is my last time I'm ever going to be oh, with you guys. I know. <laughs> so uh, I'll try not to get too emotional. We saw. We just saw you. Feels like days ago when you were here in Melbourne, came yes. all the way to Melbourne just to go and see Avatar: The Way of Water at IMAX because you don't have one in Adelaide. Yeah, and to see you guys, of course. Oh, uh, of course, naturally, of course. <laughs> um, did you have a good time in Melbourne? I actually had a really good time in Melbourne, despite like the weather being like a trash fire. Um, it's gotten better since you left. I think the, yeah. the city was happy to see you go. Yeah, that that sounds about right. But no, we had, <laughs> we had a lot of fun, played board games and watched movies and had nice food. So no, all around uh, excellent trip. How, what did you think of Avatar? Now that I, you've digested about a week later, what are your thoughts on Avatar today? I I really loved it. Like I'm keen to go watch it again. Um, I it. You know, it did its job. It transported us to another world. Yes, it was a bit overlong at points, but, you know, I, I love that world, so I didn't mind spending a bit of extra time in it. Uh, my one thing, I have a bung knee and three and a half, three hours and ten minutes with no reclining chair. Like, I was mm-hmm. in immense pain from about <laughs> halfway through to the end, but the film was good enough that, you know, I pushed through it. So <laughs> It was, you had to suffer for your art. Exactly. But for James Cameron, you'll do it. Yeah. Uh, what's happening with the Swapcast podcast at the moment? Uh, so we're still trucking along. Our last episode was actually a, um Avatar episode uh, for the original Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to do an Avatar 2 one? We are, and you're going to be on it. Um, oh, so am that, I? Yeah. Oh, this is <laughs> and, the first I've and, heard about that. And Wonderful. Damask, you're also, uh, you know, welcome to come as well. I'm but- not doing that, Paul. I saw it <laughs> once for you. I'm not revisiting that world ever again. Thank you very much. Uh, fair enough. Um, but yeah, we'll- Oh, that- shit. Do I have to go see it again? Fucking hell. I okay. don't think that's necessary. It's pretty fresh. We'll do it as our first episode of the new year. Okay, uh, The one that's coming out- um, this week will be our Christmas episode. We watched the uh, Michael Keaton 
craptacular Christmas classic, uh, Jack Frost. Mm, um, yeah, from the uh, creator of Daredevil. Uh, t- terrible, terrible movie. Um, so, yeah, we had a lot of fun breaking it down. Uh, Damask, how are you? Look, pretty good. Still in Melbourne. Still here. Um, the city hasn't kicked me out just yet. Yeah, just having a, a nice chill holiday. Very good. And just to reiterate, Paul's already mentioned this, but yes, this is officially our penultimate uh, review episode of the Hunting Seasons podcast, our second last one. Uh, after this, will be one more and then we'll do a wrap-up episode um, sometime early in the new year of 2023. And then that's it. Hunting Seasons is closed, mm-hmm. done and dusted. We'll be moving on to different things. Um, if you have any questions about that, I suggest you go listen to the first five or six minutes of our Andor episode from last week because um, we just discussed it in detail then. Um, and, uh, yeah, so things are wrapping up. Um, be prepared for that. But in the meantime, let's get to our spoiler-free review of The White Lotus Season 2. Let me clue you in. Season in review. The White Lotus has returned to our screens, but we have not returned to Hawaii. Instead, we're visiting a different White Lotus hotel, this time in Sicily, with a whole new bunch of rich assholes, with a whole new set of self-made problems, and a whole new dead body to theorise about. Mike White returns as writer and director, joined once again by the one and only Jennifer Coolidge, along with a whole new set of guests, including F. Murray Abraham, Adam DeMarco, Megan Faye, Beatrice Grano, Tom Hollander, Sabrina Impachatore, Theo James, Aubrey Plaza, Hayley Lou Richardson, Will Sharp, Simona Tabasco, Leo Woodall, and Christopher Montesanti himself, Michael Imperioli. Season two of The White Lotus consists of seven episodes, each coming in at around 62 minutes. It took us approximately seven hours and 15 minutes to watch. While season two was still airing, The White Lotus was officially renewed by HBO for a third season. So before we get to our spoiler-free review... What did you guys think of season one? You were both on the last review episode. Paul, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on season one? I love season one. Um, I thought it was a a um, really clever, funny show. The central mystery was really engaging. Um, like it, it was just a fun ride. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed every second of it. I I loved it. It was one of my favorite shows that year. What about you, Damask? Yeah, it was a really nice surprise. Um, I didn't see it coming. I very much enjoyed every single episode. Yeah, big fan. Big fan. Yes, I think we're all big fan. I ended up giving it a four and a half out of five stars. It just sort of came out of nowhere. It was this little miracle that happened during COVID. Like the whole reason of it exists is because I think HBO were pitching or asking for ideas for a show they could film during COVID. Mike White had this idea for a show set in a hotel in Hawaii, got himself a holiday in an otherwise empty hotel and wouldn't you know it made a great season of television out of it. Um, and was never intended, or at least at the time, was never pitched as being a multi-season show, but was popular enough that here we are with season two. Uh, so with all that in mind, Paul, could you please give us your spoiler-free review of The White Lotus season two? So after the explosive previous season full of stunning locations and plot full of twists and drama of the highest caliber, Lily Collins against lights up the screen as the chichula Emily in Emily in Paris season three, and boy are we in for a treat! Uh, Pardon, uh, what are you doing you, here? Oh, uh, you, you don't want me to talk about Emily in Paris season three? Fuck no, Paul. <laughs> okay, what, how dare you? <laughs> this is your All last right. time on the podcast, and this is what you decide to do to us. 
True to form, Paul, eh? True to form. <laughs> I couldn't not do it. I'm sorry. All right, so you want me to talk about... An upload fucking discussion, probably. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, that's, I, if I didn't already quit, I quit now. <laughs> Put the nail in the coffin of hunting seasons right there, Paul. It's done. <laughs> so um, I guess you want me to talk about White Lotus Season 2. Fine. Uh, the White Lotus Season 2 remains in... It's second season, one of the most fun shows on TV, and not necessarily because of its content, but being released week to week and anchoring itself on so many tantalizing mysteries, the weekly discourse around the show became just as fun as watching the show itself. Once again, Mike White has assembled an absolute powerhouse of a cast, newcomers and veterans alike. Everyone here is on their A game and they all manage to imbue their characters with depth and humor. Some of these characters are essentially pretty awful people, but thanks to the writing and these performances, it's very hard not to get invested in their fates. Both the last season and this one walk a bit of a tightrope in the way that they are wish fulfillment in terms of showing us stunningly beautiful people in stunningly beautiful locations, living extravagant lifestyles, but they also manage to be an indictment of those lifestyles and the show isn't afraid to show the ugly side of these people's lives. Mike White is a master at this, and settling into those shades of grey is his speciality. In this show, and also in his previous amazing and underseen HBO show Enlightened, and his films like Year of the Dog, he never gives easy answers or moral absolutes, and his work is so much better for it. I thoroughly enjoyed White Lotus Season 2. And I cannot wait for another stay in one of their luxury resorts. And I have to say, this is one of the few shows that if HBO announced spin-off series for all of the characters, I would happily anticipate and watch all of them. Uh, great season of TV. Very nice. Damask, mm-hmm. what about you? Um, yeah, my review is going to be short and sweet. So, honestly, I think it's just as good as the first season, if not better. Mike White is able to turn the subtlest social tensions and create what feels like giant emotional action sequences. You're up, you're down, you're on the edge of your seat to see who will die the most painful social and emotional death. The cast is strong, so strong, and the various characters give you a vast array of anxiety symptoms that are all deliciously intolerable. Those that have listened to the podcast before will know that I struggle with shows with this level of stress. But for whatever reason, Mike White's humor gives me enough relief to absolutely enjoy myself, no matter the pain. I honestly could not get enough. Do you think the difference, uh, the stress is there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Often, I think you've really responded badly to like people. Try to think, well, how would you describe the people in, say, um, Search Party? That was not just stress. That was like... Um, I'm trying to think of the well, word. Well, I just did enjoy myself in their company. Whereas That's the even thing, though yeah. these people in White Lotus are, in a lot of ways, terrible, there is at least a little bit to enjoy with them. There's almost like a, like a secondhand embarrassment with some of the characters in White Lotus as well. Oh, sorry, in White Lotus and Search Party as well, mm. because they're just often so inappropriate, so obnoxious yeah, in a way that's that. like beyond human-like understanding or mm-hmm. like, it's it's enhanced for comedic effect. Whereas the White Lotus, even though they're assholes, they're, seem, they're like grounded in a reality they recognise as well, mm-hmm. I think, which helps mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, I'm like you guys. I really, really enjoy the White Lotus season two. Second seasons are always a test. We A show can be great for a first season. That initial concept can work really well, but will it go well for a second time round? Even a show that's serialized, that can be a big question. I think it's even a bigger 
question if you're a COVID reaction miniseries that wasn't envisioned at conception as a future would have any future seasons at all it just got popular enough that it's now an anthology series like this could have easily just been a big fail the second time around and did season two pass that test it did this is a format that can work long term it's a very simple formula new location different white lotus in a different country every season new rich people problems new working class perspective a dead body mystery cast a bunch of recognizable actors bing bam boom the show could run for a hundred seasons it's kind of living in a very similar space to like uh ryan johnson's knives out series Mm -hmm. like we could have a thousand benoit blanc murder mysteries as long as you just keep it interesting in terms of its themes around like money and privilege and also cast great actors and great sort of heroes within those stories. And all of a sudden, yeah, you could do that a dozen times, you know, a dozen, dozen times over if you wanted to. Um, it's still strong writing, just like the last season. Um, it's still just about those little moments that add up over the course of a full season to create a full picture or just explore as something simmers under the background for these characters over a long period of time. The tone is still, like the first season, not extreme. It's talking about things without going overly dramatic most of the time. Um, it, the direction, the cinematography is equally strong as season one. The performances are great. Jennifer Coolidge is back and is still a gift. Audrey Pla- Aubrey Plaza, I should say, I think it's as good as I've ever seen her. For the first half of this season in particular, I was just like loving the work she was doing. Um, and then Megan Fahey, is that right, Paul? Fahey. Fahey, thank you. Yeah. As Daphne, for me, was the MVP of the season. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. she was very understated, but as the season progressed, I got to know that that character became more and more interesting and intriguing to me as it went on. thought she was wonderful. Um, and just like season one, I think this is still a great week-by-week show. My fiancé, Stephanie, and I were watching it week after week as it came out on a Monday afternoon here, Monday night, we'd watch it with dinner. And it was appointment television, and it was great to watch. And as you said, enjoy the discourse on Twitter that followed for the weeks in between. Um, and it's still just a great format, this idea of like waking up, breakfast, some time spent exploring Sicily or by the pool in the afternoon then or by the ocean in the case of um, season two and then back for dinner at the at the hotel just works um, as as a format as a formula um, for each episode there are a lot of shows that still do like shows or, or episodes with such a consistent formula and I really really enjoy that about this. I can't wait for season three to see who they cast and where it'll be set. Um, Sam Stryker on Twitter suggested that cities should have to bid to be ho- to host the next season of the White Lotus, just like <laughs> the Olympics. And I think that's a wonderful idea. Uh, how would you score and rank this season of the White Lotus compared to season one, Paul? Well, I can't remember. What did I give season one? Do you know offhand? No, I don't have it. Sorry, Paul. Uh, Well, I'm going to assume that I gave season one five stars, and (laughs) (laughs) I'm also going to give this five stars. I I fucking love this show. It's so good. Damask? Um, I can't remember what I gave last season either, but honestly, it's five stars. I feel like I might have given last season like 4.5 or something, so I'm happy to give this one five, yeah, because I really enjoyed it. So... Well, I've, I'm going to give it four and a half stars, which is the same as I gave season one. Mm-hmm. However, I think I'm going to rank season two above season one. Mm-hmm. I think season one started a bit slower. It took a, a little longer for me to get invested in the stories as much. I don't know what... Mm-hmm. I don't think there's like a lot dramatically different. Uh, I mean, everything's different, I guess. But like, 
nothing that stands out makes me go, that was the storyline that I cared about more. Mm. But I don't know. I just think I liked the mixture, the ingredients of this season more than season one for some reason. Um, so, yeah, uh, four and a half for me, but ranks higher than season one. How would you sorry, rank this one, Paul and Damask? Yeah, I think I would also rank this above season one. Um, yeah, no, I definitely would. I think a big difference, even though, yes, there's a lot of morally grey characters or outright terrible characters, I felt there was also more relatable or, like, sympathetic characters in this season to cling on to than the first. Sure. Um, Yeah. If you look back at season one, pretty much everybody's being awful. (laughs) Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys the show to please review us on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. Now, obviously, the show doesn't need to grow anymore, but it is nice for us to receive those stars for all of those six years of hard work. We'd also love you to share hunting seasons with friends and family who you think might also enjoy listening. We'll be back with our final ever review episode sometime in early 2023 to finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season one. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of Buffy, if you have any thoughts on the White Lotus, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at huntingscast. There's not many future episodes left. But right now, let's talk spoilers for The White Lotus Season 2. Deep Dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I figure the best way to talk about this season is to break it down into the different sort of groups or storylines, even though they do intersect a little bit here and there. There's sort of, uh, like, I'd say four main storylines that make up this season. Where do we want to start? Do we have a preferred starting point, a favourite storyline? Well, I think the best and most engaging storyline was the Harper, Daphne. The two couples. Mm, Cameron, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, that was the one that really had me hooked. What um, What was it about that storyline? So, the two couples going on vacation together, the two guys, both now in money, uh, friends from college, bringing their wives along and sort of, um, yeah, the friction between, particularly Aubrey Plaza's character who just does not like Cameron and uh, Daphne to begin with. What was it about that storyline that found, you found so engaging? Oh, there was just so many question marks in, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to work out how everyone fits together and why they're putting up with each other for so long. And, um, you know, 
why, like, then, you know, there's a kind of a sexual tension going on between, like, Cameron and Harper. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the whole, like, question, is Daphne, like... Is Daphne's children fathered by her personal trainer and not I Cameron? I don't think that's a question. And I think I that think was, they definitely was a blatant, blatant. It's funny. I We've been listening to podcasts around this and people did think it was like, a, is it or isn't it not? I was like, she knew exactly what she was mm-hmm. saying without yeah. saying it. That wasn't a question. That was a, this is me in control. This is me not being a victim. Yeah. That's not Cameron's kid. Obviously, he's blonde and blue eyes like the trainer I just described. Like. Yeah. I can't but, I mean, she's also got blonde hair and blue eyes. Yes, but blonde hair and blue eyes are recessive genes, and Cameron has neither. And you, it's like the, she, uh, it can be done, obviously, but she's very convinced it's not his. Yeah. And I think Cameron even might know that it's not his. Like, yeah. when she's calling them to him to the phone to talk to the kids one night, um, he seems uninterested. Yeah, hmm. I don't buy that he knows okay. at all. I think someone like Cameron is like so self-centered and an absolute narcissist. There's no fucking way just that he would is. raise someone else's kids. There's right. just no way that he would tolerate that. Yep. That's the thing. Like, he's in, he likes that relationship because he feels like he's always winning. Sure. If he was aware of what Daphne was doing on the side and living her own life, he wouldn't stick around. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think... Like, obviously, there's a lot going on between the two guys, but it's the two women in that in that foursome that really drive this storyline. Mm, like, absolutely. they're so fascinating. Like, and Megan Fahey, as you said, is the MVP. There's just so much subtlety going on in that performance and in the writing as well. Um, but, like, she is a puzzle you're trying to work out through the whole show. It's like, what is her end game? What does she actually want? What, how much does she know about? How much is she hiding? Um, yeah, she's she's just fantastic. Yeah, I think the turn from, obviously, when we first get to know the character of Daphne from, like, oblivious wife, someone who, like, you know, you understand why the character of Harper might have, like, derision or, like, not think very much of someone like that and to, as we go along, find out that there is so much more, so much mm. more depth going on there That's that, the that even me. Harper could even, mm. like... Yeah, wish for herself. Like, yeah, it's just a whole universe going on in there that, like, just no one um, is aware of unless she wants you to know. That's the bit that impresses me. I didn't think there was a whole lot of question marks. I think Daphne makes is I'm very clear on who Daphne is and what Daphne's doing by the end of it. Mm. Not necessarily her entire motivations for like why she chose to be with Cameron in the first place or why she's still here, but in terms of what she's doing, that. That yeah, that she can contain that sort of ditzy, I don't know, housewife type thing mm-hmm. to begin with, but then this the layers that you find that still seem consistent with the version of her that we've been getting, but you understand where it's coming from now mm. is the expertise that Megan Fay brings to that performance that I is amazing. And like the last episode when um Ethan tells her it's Ethan, yes? Not, yes. Yes, it's Ethan. Sorry. Can you say, I want to say Elliot for some reason. I'm not sure why. Ethan says, I think uh, something happened with Harper and Cameron. The v- very close-up shot and just mm. that moment where she loses some composure. She's obviously hurt. This is something like she doesn't want to happen. Mo- yes, because it's Cameron, but also maybe because it's Harper and she thinks she's built a connection with Harper. And then mm. she has to like just regain control in that moment, not mm. just of the of her emotions, but like gain control of the relationship by what she then presumably does with Ethan, which is a question I want to ask as well. 
It's just I think all she there. Did, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't think there's a question mm-hmm. on earth mm-hmm. um, yeah. that they did it. Um, which I think is really fascinating from the perspective of like what 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 Mike White is trying to say in these shows. Like mm. in season one, um, uh, what's his name's character, the Australian guy, um, Abraham Murray, Abraham, whatever his name was. Anyway, um, dies at the hands of Shane, who is the biggest piece of shit, mm. and his wife ends up going home with him, even though we're like hoping the whole season she's going to leave him because obviously mm-hmm. he's a piece of shit. She got this marriage and she chooses to stay with him. And like similarly in this one, um, the, at the end of this, Harper and Ethan are like closer than they've been all season because they've become more like Cameron and Daphne. <laughs> and it's like such a cynical worldview or a cynical ending to the story. Mm. It's like it's... What's the morality that Mike White is trying to reflect, if any, I think is fascinating about this show? What is he trying mm. to say about relationships, what he think a healthy relationship mm. is or isn't, about honesty in a relationship, about being unfaithful, like all that sort of stuff is so fascinating that that's the way he chooses the end of the series. Yeah, you- I think it's all about this this balance of like fairy tale and reality and just kind of committing to one um but believe in the other. So, like, you're committing to this kind of fairy tale of, like, oh, we tell each other everything. Sure. We are so honest with one another, and that's what you project, but internally you understand the reality and just kind of, like, yeah, fragment your own your own brain, compartmentalise everything, and that's just how you survive. The idea of being honest all the time, mm-hmm. except they're not talking about the fact they're not having sex anymore. Mm-hmm. They just don't have sex. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's no... Ethan will not talk about why. It's like he goes for his dumb runs. She tries her best. Like he's like, I'm more of a morning sex guy. You're more of an evening sex woman. Um, she tries her best to make that work. He fucking gets into bed. It's what he closed for a second, which is gross. And then, <laughs> but then as a shower and does nothing about it, it's like, but they don't, even by the end of this series, they don't really talk about what the fuck is going on there. No. Um, so you don't believe that they are actually strong by the end? Do you feel like that that's a doomed relationship? Not necessarily. I I don't. I think their version is going to be very hard to continue. I think once they get back to reality as well, like whatever lives they live that got Harper and Ethan to to where they were at the start of this season is going to have a real impact on where they ended this season. Mm. They're going to come I, back from the holiday and it's going to fall apart maybe for that reason, but maybe not. Maybe they could be like Cameron yeah. and Daphne and wait, make this work in their own. I mean, I guess it depends way. on like what you mean by like a doomed relationship. Sure. Do we mean does that mean that like are they going to like get a divorce or end or just have like an emotionally dishonest relationship? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. if they fully commit to having having an emotionally dishonest relationship, they can go forever. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like that, if that if that's what they want to lean into and be like, "Oh, that's just how you get through being married to someone for 50 years," and I guess that's what we're going to be doing. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Everyone from the outside would call that a success. Yes, exactly. But yeah, 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 totally. But that is that's that's what's the what the beauty of where it ends. I really appreciate the Harper and Ethan relationship. Like I think their version of where they think they're super solid and they look at other couples and like talk about how shit they are and actually we're really good at what we do and they're all fake and blah, 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 was really fascinating and quite true to, like, reality. I think probably a lot of people, I think even I felt, like, maybe a sense of um, familiarity there to some degree. Um, But then there is something that is obviously working on some level about Cameron and Daphne, even if it is all... Well, the funny thing is, 
we see them a lot in private moments where they do really seem to enjoy each mm. other at least physically. Yeah. Mm. So it's like it's not it's not a complete lie. It's not a facade all the time because otherwise it would come down when we're not around. Yeah, so I mean, there's working. lies they're existing in both of those relationships. Exactly. So there's like a lie of like, oh, we're still attracted to each other. Yeah. And there's a lie of like, oh, we are deeply emotionally connected to one another. Like both those relationships have very serious lies in both of them. doesn't make one better than the other. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's also the fact that Mike White is like a queer person and his view of relationships might be a bit different than like to say if a straight writer wrote this and the thought of like the fact that you know Daphne sleeping with other people Cameron sleeping with other people I think some people would see that as like that's it the relationship's over whereas some other people might say well they could have a functioning relationship where they both sleep with other people and that's totally fine. I can tell you what he sort of said about it. I was listening to an interview that the patron state of TV podcasting Joanna Robinson did with Mike White <laughs> after the finale and she asked him pretty much that question and his essential takeaway, I, I recommend listening to this by the way, it's on the Ringer podcast network, um, mm-hmm. House of, I think it's the House of R or it might be, no, it's the Prestige TV podcast um, yeah. and um, he essentially says he has a very cynical view of the idea of romance, right? Mm -hmm. Of like that that romantic love. I'm going to paraphrase in a way that's not as good as actually listening to the episode. You should do that. But (laughs) he doesn't necessarily see that as being something that's sustainable or real and that relationships on some level are transactional. and, And also, I think that, no, the thing he said, actually, going back a little bit on that, he said the thing about romance is that if you fall into this like romantic love with someone, then you give up a lot of power. And I guess I'm gonna guess he's been hurt in relationships before, <laughs> and he's learnt to not completely give up all his power in a relationship. And sort of that is what's reflected, I think, in in this in the conclusion or where this goes. I think that the examination of these relationships is like you don't want to completely let yourself give all your power up to your partner because it just leaves you in such a vulnerable position. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. That's If anything's reflecting, that seems to be it. Uh, if that answers the question, I definitely mm-hmm. recommend listening to the interview. It was quite good. Yeah, I think I will. How convinced were you guys that some combination of these four characters were going to be the dead bodies that we saw in the first episode? Because the show, I think, makes you want to think that the fact that it was Daphne who found them and she's alone on the beach for some reason in the first episode. Um, And then there's like multiple scenes where, um, you know, the two guys are like fighting or like go jet skiing in the water Mm -hmm. by themselves and then like fighting in the water by themselves. Um, Mate, the whole show wants you to think that every story. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I specifically thought it was those four. I think I was probably leaning the first away from those four. One, because it was Daphne who found them. I think there'd probably be like a larger Mm -hmm. reaction um, to Mm -hmm. that. And also we had a storyline with some very scary stakes in it that made me go, (laughs) it's probably that fun. But yet that was the reason I thought it wasn't going to be that one Mm. because it was like, well, that's too obvious, Mm. which ultimately Mm. that was it. And actually in that interview, Mike White talked about also like the the online theorising is like, he worried that he wasn't doing enough or it was too subtle, the stuff he was doing somehow. Like, mm. he's never made a show that had so much, like, people talking about online and theorising. And he was like, yeah, he was like, he wasn't sure it was all working or that people would sort of follow along with what they were doing. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, oh, no, they were way ahead of me. They were way ahead of me. And it could have been more subtle is what he was thinking of. And he probably did not have that concern in season one. He probably had no idea people would be talking about his show so no. much. Mm. So, yeah. No, I think it's such a huge downfall of any 
um, writer that kind of wants to like outplay the audience, yeah. it's always a bad move to kind of write a Which story he also talked with about. that motivation because they just turn into absolute trash. Yeah, when you're trying to constantly beat the audience yeah. and it comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I think he was talking about some theories and he was like, yes, I suppose that would work, but like that wouldn't be satisfying because yeah. that wasn't the story we've been building towards. Um, and so, yeah, it was obvious, and we're talking about the, ta- the Tanya storyline now, mm. obviously, but but it was also all there, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. and that is more satisfying. Um, the biggest mystery for me is when it comes to the Harper, Ethan, Daphne, Cameron storyline is how anyone stops being attracted to Aubrey Plaza, but that's just, <laughs> that's just me. Ethan needs to really, really look at um, whatever's going on there. Uh, the three... Generations of the DeGrassos, I think it is. Yeah. Um, Bert, Dom, and Albie, the three men uh, who come to Sicily uh, on the pretense that they're going to discover their roots, their Italian heritage, um, and along the way, uh, spend a lot of time talking about women <laughs> more than anything else. What do yeah. we think of this storyline? Paul? Um, yeah, it was... <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's funny your interpretation of these three characters was constantly shifting through the whole, from season one to season, uh, sorry, from episode one to episode seven. Like, as, I think especially with Albie. Um, mm-hmm. I think to begin with, like, a lot of the stuff he was saying was pretty awful and the way that, like, he, he did seem like he was saying what he thought thought he should be saying not what he's actually thinking in regards to treating uh, treatment of women and even like the stuff he was saying to his grandfather about like kind of shaming his grandfather for like being like having a sexual drive at his age saying he was Mm -hmm. undignified it's like really like is is your view of the world that regressive that you think that way um but then i guess by the end i almost felt Sorry for Albie the most out of everyone. Um, and and then his moment at the end where he realized he got played and he kind of just, you know, understood that and didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of made me endeared to him in a way. I like, think that was the bit that surprised me the most because uh, there was a lot of feeling that like Albie was this incel type character who was going to explode, basically. Mm. That, that like he'd been white knighting and talking about like, you know, um, being a male feminist, and when that went wrong for him, there was mm-hmm. this potential for it to sort of, sort of ignite. And instead, he sort of just, I got played. Yeah. And it's like, but that's that's not the worst reaction. Like that's no, but I think like he has exploded in a way. So he's like, his mission is to kind of counteract the um the way that his father and grandfather act. Sure. So he's going the other way. Um, still for the same reward. And sure. ultimately, he does not get that reward, and we very much see that towards the end. Is He's moving forward. He's He hasn't evolved from what his father believes and now sees women as people. I don't believe that's true. He's always going to objectify women, put them on a pedestal, or think that they're playing him or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. That um, deep-rooted misogyny is absolutely present within him. And I think his attitude towards women 
has gone from the fairy tale and now to this ab- more cynical view of them. The the tell there at the end is that shot in the airport where the three of them yeah. like watch the woman walk past mm-hmm. and they're all mm-hmm. sort of the same. There's I, I think there's there's a little complexity to that with Albie though. Of course. In that it's not I don't think it's all performative. I do think on some level he he well, he's agrees a child. with what he's saying. Yeah, he's got this like kind yeah, of childish, yeah, yeah. It's just naive childish. perspective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mo- yeah. Mainly because mainly because like the idea that he's doing it just to get what he wants would make more sense if he only did it in front of like Portia and Lucia. But he does it lots of times when they're not around as well. The yeah. women aren't around at all. So I and he like went to university and all these sorts of things. Doesn't mean he believes all those things wholeheartedly. But there's something yeah. there. It's not I just I it's think, not performing. And I think it's one of those things where like you know, we talk about the this season having more relatable moments. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of us I think um perhaps Paul excluded have had these thoughts about women particularly growing up. It's like, you know, being the nice girl slash nice girl, um, saying like all the right things because mm-hmm. you do in fact believe them, but there is always that some that subconscious, but also sometimes quite conscious yeah. that I'm going to be rewarded for this behaviour. And the wor- the be- the best element of that, or the best example, of that is on the beach when he's meant to be meeting up with Portia and he's yeah. watching her and mm-hmm. uh, the other guy whose name I can't remember, Tom Jack Jack, yeah. uh, up on the balcony thing and just like that feeling that he's. Maybe try trying to like push it down, yeah. but it's there on some level that like you know she was meant to be hanging out with him, and it's cool, but it's really not and that cool. is a I, hurtful thing to experience. Totally, yeah. like we also and need that's to acknowledge what I like that. about that too. It's like there is he's not just a creepy weirdo who's like no, obsessed no, with this no, girl. No, like exactly there are reasons right. that he feels the way he does. Do you, do you think probably the thing that I, I think is most objectively bad that he does is take the money or take the money in exchange t- for, for putting a like, good word with, awful. with his mum. Yeah, that 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 is the that's, that's the worst thing he does yeah. yeah do you think on some level like he actually believed what he told his mum in terms of his dad like that's you know, the only question is like I don't is, think so. well dom um uh, michael imperioli's character arguably is trying to get better like yeah. He does what he does at the start. He has set up to be with these sex workers. Mm-hmm. He has had multiple conversations with his dad about, well, his problem when it comes to women and his addiction to sex or whatever it is. And then he has conversations with his dad about his affairs that he says were discreet but were not. Um, but then as the season goes on, he really... he. He is able to last pretty much the rest of the season without it happening again. Like I know it's not much, but that's mm. all, all we get. Yeah, and like it would have been very easy. There were multiple temptations not to, mm-hmm. and but he. I think it's obvious he does care for his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously fucked up a yeah. lot, and he's going to need to change a lot if he's going to get any sort of forgiveness or return to that. But it, I don't think there's evidence that he's not trying. I, yeah, don't, I don't think don't anything think, yeah. he tells Albie to tell the mum. Is intrinsically false. He just yeah. told her, told Albie to tell her that he's thinking about her all the time and he wants to make it work and he wants to try. Yeah. Like, which yeah, is true. I think it's yeah, absolutely. Like you can have someone who has like wonderful in- intentions mm-hmm. and has every desire to change, but I think ultimately we hear like from a very brief phone call and obviously just from context and different bits of dialogue you, from Dan. from the the <laughs> men in those scenes that this woman has been incredibly damaged by that relationship and to then ask that conversation (laughs) and then to ask her to go back into it is an incredibly selfish thing to do Mm -hmm. um that somehow she should have to put up through this guy's recovery is absurd 
Um, and I think uh, unforgivable what he did. Fair enough. What about Bert? Do we have any thoughts on the grandfather, DeGrasso? Oh, just yeah. like grandpa, grandpa. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know there's something about like the flirty old man that I personally can just laugh at because I know I could physically push him over. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like the, it's less threatening in a way. It's still gross, obviously, but you're like, okay, old man. Yeah, and I, I, as the show went on, that kind of went away and he just became more of a sympathetic figure, I, I felt. Like, he wasn't being as gross as the show went on. He Well, it was definitely a, an episode one sort of thing. And yes, it did yeah. stop pretty early on. I thought it was just a great performance from F. Murray Abraham, though. Mm-hmm. He's just very... He just eats up those scenes, whatever lines they give him. I love the bit where they go and find the old family homestead and then <laughs> these three witches. I don't know what you want to call them. <laughs> Um, I think they're just this, you know, a perfect example of the women in the family doing fine without the men. And the men <laughs> yeah. are like, are oh, you just so happy that we're home? And they're like, absolutely not. Get off my property. <laughs> do, you yeah, think they, do you think they actually understood that they were related to those three guys? Or do you think they were, thought these they are just three random They did say something men? about the money. Um, I think the, yeah. the matriarch that they meet inside, yeah. enough is communicated that she understands that. And she says something about like coming back for the old money or something like that. Mm. I think she knew. I think she knew on some <laughs> level. And even if she didn't, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the idea, this fantasy is going to show up and mm-hmm. like be greeted with open arms. Oh, I went to America, son. did so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Welcome this back. man's desperate need to have like a soft place to land, which always has to be a woman, needs a mum and a wife in, in one combo. They all do. They're disgusting. <laughs> um, Valentina, our new, what's the role? Would you call it? They're not the Armand. head. <laughs> the Armand. Armand. Yeah, exactly. Of the season. <laughs> um, is a very different sort of story. Ultimately, I was not super digging it to begin with. I was like, well, it's obviously going to be a very hard, um, very hard sort of role to do to follow in the footsteps of season one. But uh, you'd hope they'd find you know a new angle with that and. Her just sort of being, like, really rude or, like, direct in a way was funny, but also not particularly, like, enjoyable or endearing, ultimately, until they started to work in this, like, older woman who's starting to understand, or later in later in life, maybe, starting to understand her own sexuality and try to 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 form some connection with, with women for the first time, potentially was very endearing by the end of it. I really came on board her storylines that went along. I don't know. What about you, Damask? Um, I, I thought it very pointed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I was watching it, I was like, okay, she's quite like severe in this rather, I found, endearing Italian way. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes that track. Yes. Um, so that was just fun to watch, just her being incredibly rude to her staff. <laughs> um <laughs> and then obviously she clearly develops a crush on an employee mm. and then begins sexually harassing this woman. Um, I was like, oh, no, that is... Um, I get that she's like coming from a place of like vulnerability and, and loneliness. And Remember loneliness. that one she was having on her own yeah, with like yeah. the cat? That Poor was, thing. That was yeah. beautiful. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously from a place of loneliness, but being wildly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not great. But then we get to a, a place of... Well, yeah, she just is looking for connection and when actually offered it um, can soften a little bit. So I enjoyed the storyline. I don't think it was like the greatest within the show, but those little bits that we got, I enjoyed. Paul? Yeah, I mean, like she's a great screen presence, the, mm-hmm. the actress. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, it, like, I don't know if it's quite realistic in terms of how she treats the people that go to the hotel. Like, <laughs> sure. Um, like, if you go to one of those hotels, if someone treated you like that, the caliber, caliber of people that go to those hotels, they would have her fired so fucking yeah. quickly. Um, but it was, it was good f- for a laugh. Um, but yeah, it, it was, um, yeah, it did work for me, but I'd have to agree with Damas that it was definitely not the strongest uh, storyline this season. I don't think it was the highlight, but I was really happy with how it landed. Like mm, me too. Was, involving Mia and Mia sort of wanting to be a, the 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 in-house pianist and singer, and then that little uh, deal they make essentially that. Opens up the world for Valentina, I think, in a way that it hadn't before. Like, she'd been trying to force it with this employee in a very, very, as you said, inappropriate way. Um, but then, yeah, ultimately, I don't know. There was just something very sweet about that, very honest about it. Mm. Um, even the bit that, like, Mia sort of says, you know, I think you should find, like, an actual lesbian. lesbian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but was also willing to, you know, maybe play around a little bit more or whatever it was and just... That was that moment was, was sad, of- though, because obviously when their first kind of like flirting at the bar or whatever and um the girl says oh you know like she alludes to the fact that she also has sex with women or has had sex with women mm-hmm. in the past and then to like <laughs> the the knife i felt in my gut when ultimately she's like oh you should find like an actual lesbian i'm like oh but, I mean, she's still being very nice. She also and, said, I'm going to introduce you. I know some yeah. great clubs oh, and no, stuff like that. That, that is absolutely fine. Yeah. But you could just see like the little reaction of like, oh, sure. I thought maybe we could. But okay, that's still a lovely offer. Um, but Valentina was aware that, well, she in her mind, Mia was a sex worker. So mm-hmm. like, could she really see a future with well, Mia? Well, I, I think that's well, not that's transactional. Right. I, I think that's part of Valentina's problem though it's like she treats people she doesn't care about like shit and the people she does she attaches to very like she's she's hyper into the scale the way she I can't remember the name of the receptionist that she's working with uh, I can't remember but the um just she gets so fixated on her and Mm. thinks that every little like pleasantry is somehow uh, affection that's coming her way Mm. like she yes so I think she even though she might have intellectually yeah Got yeah. that information correct that this was a transaction. Mm. She I also, think internally, I think she is a baby gay. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just kind of where her mindset is at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about what about Mia and Lucia then? Our two sex workers getting around, pulling scams, trying to <laughs> and and just doing their job. You know, yeah, doing as their they job should. wonderfully. Good for them. Good for them. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to criticise them at all. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. I mean, they're the ultimate. They're the ones who walk off into the sunset together at the end of this season. Truly. They really 50, do. 50,000 euros and um, a yeah. gig at the White Lotus. Like, Yeah. Um, I did worry that one of them could have easily been the dead body, unfortunately. Between Cameron or Ethan or, I don't know, someone was going to yeah. Bert maybe. I, I don't know. I was certainly hoping they wouldn't totally. kill the sex workers and... Uh, a large part of me was like, well, I just don't think he would do that. I think he mm-hmm. has the wherewithal to mm-hmm. not do that in this day and age. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm glad we didn't go there. And that ultimately, um, is it Lucia the one who's like really behind the... Lucia, yeah. 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 Me, is, um, me is the one who... The piano player. The piano yeah. Player, yeah. Um, yeah, great little ruse, great little scam. Um, was fully invested in it. I 
at every moment I was like, I don't think this is real, but like maybe it is real, but then I'm pretty sure it's not real. So I enjoyed that journey of mm-hmm. it. Um, and because I never really thought she was in danger, I could enjoy it more, Yeah. Um, which was super fun. And then to ultimately find out that, yes, she did take that family's money was just a cherry on top. Do you think that Lucia had feelings for Albie on any level or do you think there was a hundred percent this guy's just a chump and I'm taking his money I don't think she necessarily a hundred percent disliked him but I think ultimately she knew what she was doing yeah I don't think there was any kind of like emotional or romantic intention yeah there I think I was like oh this is a really nice kid like this kid's real nice. Um, he says nice things to me. How endearing, how lovely. But beyond that, I think her eye was always on the prize. It's also important to remember she also didn't take his money. She took his dad's, dad's money, money. Yeah. and that's yeah. that is what she was owed. Yeah. <laughs> that was what she was booked for. Yeah. <laughs> he hadn't paid it. And uh, actually, it was interesting too the ongoing like money thing with Cameron and Ethan, mm-hmm. which ultimately just gets resolved. Like here you go. Yeah. It's yeah. like oh okay. <laughs> I guess yeah. guess he was. You just had to ask Ethan. Yeah 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 yeah, yeah exactly. Um. Yeah, I, got, I don't have a lot to say about that. Uh, I I just have, like, they're, like... That was I the glue feel, that held all the storylines together in a way, yeah. I feel like Lucia will become a gay icon. She is just so fabulous. Everything she wears, like, almost... I think her wardrobe was maybe too good for someone <laughs> of her station in life. Well, but, she was uh, spending all her money on it. There was actually yeah. a scene talking about mm. it. Like, they get, yeah. they get some money, they instantly blew it in that freaking... Clothing yeah. store. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, she, her, their, her performances are so fun. I know that she's just been um, in real life. She's just been uh, signed with a like an American agency. So I feel oh, like cool. they're going to like push her as a like an, in the American market. So I'd be interested nice. to see what comes next. Absolutely. Yeah, they were just, they were super watchable and fun. And apparently, mm. in real life, have been friends for years, those two mm. actresses. So, like, there was an innate chemistry they coming They were very through. cute together. Very, very, yeah. very cute and very believable. It was excellent. Um, we didn't talk about actually um, Albie and Portia necessarily, mm-hmm. specifically, just sort of, well, we did a little bit, I guess. But um, how do you feel about, how do you feel about Portia as a character? Um, coming along as Tanya's like assistant, um, just having to sit in her room, trying to get around Tanya, and then sort of meeting up with um, with Albie, and then ultimately swapping numbers at the end of the season. I was really surprised that Portia became kind of the internet's villain for a few weeks. Like yeah. everybody really hated Portia, and I I never thought that. I thought she was like I felt sorry for her and. I think the way she dressed uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But, like, but, if that's uh, not think, someone in that age demographic. she's a bit of a vocal fry or something, she? Everyone just hates fucking women with vocal fries on the internet. It's the worst. Mm, I think so it was, like, it seemed like most of it was around her wardrobe, though, and I think mm-hmm. that I see those people on the street all the time. It's yeah, just how totally. young people dress. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think the people who, like, truly lose their mind over it are just probably old and don't quite understand <laughs> um, that she is being a bit fash about it. I think Portia was fantastic in terms of those early episodes bringing the comedy seeing Mm -hmm. her constantly having to like move or like jennifer coolidge staring her down all of those moments were so (laughs) wonderful um yeah it it brought me a huge amount of joy at the the top just being there to witness the all of tanya's stuff like Mm -hmm. you just need someone to bear witness to the insanity (laughs) of it to make it funnier Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah the bit where she gets the uh the tarot card reader and they're oh, like... She's very negative. Very negative. <laughs> <laughs> she laughs so much. 
Uh, but I guess her main folly was choosing Jack over Albie, which I guess in in retrospect was a very bad choice. <laughs> but I think um, we all understood, right? We totally oh, understood totally, totally, why totally. that was happening. And it's very much, um, if not, we've either all been there, all of stood beside a friend as they made the uh-huh. exact same decision. Yeah. Uh, but once again, a very relatable storyline. Yeah. Did, did you, I mean, I was terrified for her when she oh decided gosh. to um, interrogate him about what was happening while in a fucking car with him. <laughs> that was a massive mistake. Yeah. Like, worst movie you could ever make. I was like, when his face changed, like, you're not you're not getting out of here. You're the dead body in the water because who the <laughs> fuck else is going to... You're no. dead. Uh, that was terrifying, terrifying. I thought their conversation... I think it was at the second last episode where they're sort of walking by the beach and she's talking, he's asking what she wants in life and she says she wants to be satisfied and mm-hmm. then he's talking about like living every day. Got to be satisfied with the moment otherwise. The moment, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. I don't know, did you did you have much read onto that? What Was there a certain takeaway from that that Mike White was trying to impart about what should be important? Was Did Portia change because of that conversation? Because she seemed to all of a sudden turn... That was the start of her turning off Jack, I thought. Like maybe she had a moment of realisation, he's right about this, but also you kind of suck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, we're just... We don't think or see the world um, in the same way. I also think it's very much like a person in their 20s, like, oh, I just want to be satisfied because you're just not satisfied at all you've got so much Mm -hmm. to figure out um but yeah i think that really just showed her that oh you just don't see the world that Mm -hmm. i do um and that was the moment like oh this is just like a a a good time guy and that's all that that's ever gonna be but then she that's she seemed to be there for a good that's what she was there for for a good time guy yeah but you know when like you're in a down mood like she's clearly a moody person you're in a down mood and you just want to have a conversation and realize like oh i can't not even for a, gl- I kind of a glimpse of that conversation Maybe she got with you. Drunker and drunker and drunker from yeah. then on, and yeah. Oh God. That's I was I was watching um a show with our friend Han, and um <clears throat> I was like, oh, I remember those days in the in your twenties when you're dating someone, and you after maybe like a month or two, you realize, oh. We're not just going out all the time. You're an alcoholic. Mm, That's when you yeah. really you realize the difference between your drinking and their drinking. Mm. What was the show out of interest? White Lotus. Oh, I thought you said a different. I thought you made a different <laughs> no, show on no, oh, no. this show. Sorry, this sorry, show. sorry. Um, I'm not Emily in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> the, the alcoholism storyline in that is electric. Shut up. <laughs> um, okay, we've beat around the bush here. I've deliberately left. The Tanya and the gay storyline till last. Um, <laughs> Jennifer Coolidge's grand return to mm. the White Lotus. Mm-hmm. We all love Tanya from season one. She's back again. Um, she won't be returning for season three unless it's a prequel, <laughs> we would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of this storyline? Just the starting point with her and Greg on this Italian holiday. Greg, who we met in season one as well. Him disappearing. The phone call she's overhearing. And then this... Uh, evolving sort of conspiracy to kill her so he can get her money uh, and avoid having to deal with the prenup? What do we make of it? I I love being pandered to. And <laughs> <laughs> this storyline of Jennifer Coolidge talking about how much she loves gay people and then ultimately being scared of the gay people <laughs> was... <laughs> was 
a masterstroke. It was it was so fun to watch. There were so many memeable moments mm-hmm. that will live on in the internet forever. Um, it just let her be hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, mu- probably much more than what season one did, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't it, know. The bits of her woohoo with the champagne on the boat still lives in my mind. She's yeah. fucking amazing yeah. in season one. Yeah. I just think uh, season two really leans into the Jennifer Coolidge of it all. Like on the Vespa. Like he's he's just going to like JC do what JC does best. And so much of that is just being absurd um in a slightly like queer context um and just letting gay Twitter lose its mind. Uh, and that's and that's what we had this season. Yeah, every moment with her, I am just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I agree with you, Paul. I very much enjoyed being pandered to. I'm like, I see what you're doing. I see the manipulation. And uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I I was like, I loved everything you're talking about. Just mm. her being Tanya, the ridiculous of, of it for the entire season. Wonderful. I was really impressed with her in the last episode. I thought mm. she was great. And mm. really, it was still ta- Tanya, but it was a different level of intensity and worry and the performance was different she wasn't she was obviously genuinely concerned for her life and i thought it was a great performance i love the sequence with her getting the gun and then shooting everyone just keeping it on her i was losing my mind it was was such a good shot um (laughs) really just the way it was done her performance through that the fact that we don't see it's obviously it's not an action show Mm. but also the thing i think i need to remember about this show is it's never going to be a murder. Do you know what I mean? Even mm-hmm. when there's a plot to murder someone, yeah. no one's getting killed via murder. It's going to be an accident or manslaughter at worst. Or in this case, not knowing how to climb down a ladder into a boat and falling <laughs> off and smashing your head. I and gotta, then, like, that, holy shit, I just got to talk so about funny. the ride of that. Like yeah. that entire kind of sequence or series of events. So obviously she's on the phone with Portia. Yeah. Um, great conversation. We see her. Who's in danger? You or me? (laughs) (laughs) We see her like the shuffling, like Mm -hmm. when she's in view of the gaze. um, Just suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. The shuffling and the run. Like truly great. And then her going, remembering that guy has a gun, going Mm -hmm. to get it. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. My heart Mm -hmm. was pounding. Mm -hmm. She gets it. And I was like, she's going to die. Like, her with a gun, it's going to end so badly. <laughs> and so the beauty of that sequence, yes, where it's just on her shooting, like bl- literally blindly, her eyes are closed, just shooting away. And then we pan over and she's killed them all except for one guy. Um, it's, oh, and I forgot, obviously, the wonderful conversation with the captain. Yes. Um, who does not speak English. Also fabulous. <laughs> so funny. Um, yeah. So then she's like shot all these people. I'm like, she's got to get off. She's got to get off. And then just... <laughs> see her so brutally fall off the boat i was laughing my ass off and if you're going to kill a character that's so like beloved for absurd reasons but still beloved um that's how you do it you make it so so ridiculous that you can't help but enjoy yourself (laughs) yeah it was a it was a feat it was wonderful i agree incredible incredible build up to it did you uh, how early were you suspecting that something wasn't right here with tanya's storyline like was it, did you start to go, this isn't right when they had the bit of like, 
um, Jack funky, fucking his uncle that's when she sort of walked in on them having sex in the bedroom mm-hmm. or like was it earlier than that or what did you did you have any thoughts about what was going on well I think the musical score was very much it, telegraphing it yes. very early on like mm-hmm. every right. time the um, Tom Hollander character spoke like there was this ominous music playing like very it was very ominous music the way he um, talks about beauty is terrifying yeah. <laughs> that's so scary yeah, that he'd die for beauty yeah yeah, right. for yeah. Beauty? Mm. yeah i think that's when something kind of clicked uh, this this ain't right yeah i think um obviously the the fucking the uncle um the the party scene in which he's kind of very much encouraging her to take drugs, not a lot of encouragement needed, good for her. Um, but then obviously like getting her to have sex um, with the drug dealer, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'd, what I'd call him, um, made me go, oh, this is obviously like a prenup situation. This is a, an entrapment that, that situation. That was the conversation on Twitter was that it was, that they'd been filming it and there was going to be some adultery clause basically. Yes. That, but that wasn't it. No, that was my assumption that made me go, oh, okay, that's, that's why this is sure. happening. And then as we go along further, we realise that it's much more sinister than that. So much more worse. Yes. So why did they bring her along and take her to the opera and have I a massive think, party with what's her? what's her husband's and then name? Greg. Greg. I think um, in conversations, the way that they could like morally reason, it was like, well, she's such a miserable person. We're going to give her the time of her life That's before it. we That's kill her. That's 100% it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and I think like one of the guys stays behind he won't go on the boat with them like they genuinely start to form a connection with Uh her and like a lot of this is enjoying her and wanting her to enjoy herself Mm -hmm. before they kill her because they need the money yeah it's like it's uh, that's simply it and there was a part of that as well joanna robinson had this theory as well i just steal everything from obviously but her theory after episode six was what if this was a massive misunderstanding what if Mm. the score is like pushing us in this direction as a misdirect and that Greg, for instance, her theory was Greg was sick again with cancer. He had deliberately brought her to Italy to have a great time, but he was struggling. He was stressing. He was acting out. He couldn't make her happy. So he leaves and asks his friend to like, have, you know, show her a great time, give her the great Italian holiday that she wanted. And, but in the meantime, she has misinterpreted this as some sort of plot and, the gun and everything was not... I think that works if you don't have Portia and Jack. Well, the idea that she wasn't meant to be there because Greg didn't expect Portia to be there and was going to rule... Like, th- that crutch need to be removed. She was never meant to be a part of this Italian holiday. But why is Jack having that reaction when he's, like, dropping her off, though? Well, at that point, you know, by the last episode, it falls apart. But by episode six, I think there was a reading of this that could work Mm. that way. And Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, wouldn't it be fascinating if that was it? And she murders these people, think they're going to kill her. And it turns out Greg shows up like, surprise, we had a great holiday. And it's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) That would be hilarious. The other thing is, like, why would Quinton lie about how he knows Greg when she finds the picture? Because it was meant to be a secret until they found out afterwards, basically. Like, it wasn't meant... She wasn't meant to know that Greg was involved until before then. Mm. It was meant to be like this a surprise for her, essentially. Like, so how, we'll set this up for you. what do you think the actual relationship was between Greg and Quinton? Exactly what Quinton said in his story about the, the, the cowboy he loved. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like, and that conversation on the phone is Greg talking to him. But when he says, I love you, it's not he genuinely loves him. It's a begrudging, I love you, because Quinton said, I love you. And he goes, I love you too. And then, like, hangs up. Like, mm. 
he oh, okay. it was part of his emotional manipulation to get someone to kill his wife. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Um, ultimately, the reason it cannot work, even at the end, is A, because of the Jack stuff, mm. but B, because of the rope and the ta- duct tape yeah. in that bag. <laughs> like, if the rope and the duct tape weren't there, I could almost still make that work in my head. But yeah. I'm like, I have, n- I have no ability. But also, I'm not sure why they need to tie her up anyway. Maybe just just in case. Just in case, potentially. So she's not going to run or whatever. Sure, sure. Great, great, great season television, though. What a fun, what a fun ride. Amazing. (laughs) Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Paul, do you have any side notes? Uh, Yeah, uh, I do want to shout out. uh, This show was made, directed, written by Mike White the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to shout out that, you know, how male gazy this show is in the opposite direction that we normally sure. get. Uh, this show leers all over the male cast members. We get lots of male nudity. And I was here for it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> shout uh, out to male nudity. Yeah. You know, you know, I love it. Um, uh, also want to shout out... Um, Bruno Gowry, uh, so he was the French uh, gay in the group, um, and uh, guess what show he's on, guys? No. No, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, just shout out, he, he is a, a delight on Emily in Paris, so um, looking forward to that. And um, finally, I want to go back to Megan Fahey because I think everybody's discovering her yes, through this I show. I certainly am. Um, but for for all of us that have been watching Freeform's The Bold Type for the last, like, six years, um, we already knew that she was amazing. Um, so it's really good when, like, an actress that you're a huge fan of finally gets this recognition. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, big shout-out to Megan Fahey. Um, and if you love her in the show... Maybe give the bold type a go. I tried to watch that. I, I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's exactly my kind of trash. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mask any side notes? Um, yeah, so obviously there's been a bit of discussion between you guys in terms of like you'd watch the show week to week and mm-hmm. then the online, like the discourse online was really fun to get into. I actually didn't have that. So I had been putting off watching The White Lotus for ages. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. There's a, there, I had a bit of hesitation. I'm mm. like, is can season two be good? Like, yeah, that wasn't my no direct hesit- connection. Yeah, that wasn't my hesitation. My hesitation was like, it's going to be like a lot of like you know oh, emotional, right. social, like nuanced stuff. And I was sure. like, I don't know if my like at that point in time, I was just rewatching old sitcoms. Like that was my mindset. I think you said that to me. So it was going to be like miserable and yeah, like, I was yeah, like, I was like oh, not wasn't there for it. Oh, yeah, no. Um. Anyway, so I I binged all of the season except for the finale in one day. Um. And I I got to say. It didn't affect the enjoyability of the Absolutely. show. It was so much fun. And then I was very lucky didn't have to wait for the finale. That was mm. literally airing the next day. So that was great. So for all of you that are like, oh, I've kind of missed the boat. I've missed the moment. You haven't. Please, please, please watch it. Because, it, it, yeah, it's just as good binging. Excellent side note. Love it. But uh, why have they listened to this whole episode and ruined all the spoilers for themselves is my question. People a- are psychos. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute insanity. I, I guess my side notes, I'll, I probably the one that I want to talk about the most is just like I love the way this show can end on a downer. It's happy with that. for mm-hmm. So much build up. We have a little victory, I guess, with Le- Mia and Lucia 
But ultimately, everyone else kind of leaves here worse than they started, either dead in Tanya's case or Porsche's been traumatized or you've lost 50 euros. She seems fine. (laughs) 50 euros. She's like in hiding behind sunglasses, terrible disguise (laughs) at the airport. Um, Yeah, I, I... it's it's true to form from the first season that just it's not I wouldn't say it's a satisfying ending but it's an apt ending mm-hmm. um, with just that little victory like the the kid from season one who stays behind to like learn how to row that boat mm-hmm. thing yeah um, I, I love that yeah as I love that it has that little note of optimism at the end that's helpful I think mm-hmm. it's like the the sugar helps medicine go down a little bit um, highlights and lowlights what was your low light of the season Paul. Low light of the season. Um, Can be your least favorite episode or your favorite episode. Yeah. If you prefer. I would say, even though I, I like the moment overall and I think it worked, just the feeling of disappointment knowing that Jennifer Coolidge wasn't going to come back next season when she died. Like, even though it was a great moment of television, I was like, oh, that means no more Tanya. That um, is my low light as well. Tanya dying. She won't <laughs> yeah. be coming back. <laughs> yeah. Valid. Um, I'm trying to think. I honestly don't necessarily have uh, a low light. I think we could, yeah. we're all obviously on the same page there. Maybe. Um, yeah, we're cheating. Here. Yeah, we're I ch- guess maybe when like the Sicilian um, family, they go and try to find their um, mm-hmm. family, like their heritage or whatever. I wasn't that interested at that point. Sure. Maybe that, but really I have none. Sure. Uh, highlight was your highlight, Paul. Uh, well, we mentioned already, but probably the whole sequence of Jennifer Coolish running mm-hmm. around the boat and, then try- <laughs> and uh, trying to speak to the captain and all that. That was just like amazing comedy. Um, yeah. So I-, I hope she wins all the awards just for that scene. What would she get? Would it be lead or supporting? Like, what could you definitely. I mean, supporting, right? Supporting, I think she'd I think. Be They'd supporting, all get yeah. supporting, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, nice. mine is literally the exact same thing. That boat sequence. Yeah. Well, my highlight was Ta- Tanya dying. What a great ending for that character! <laughs> it's like both the highlight and the low light. The conflicting feelings of like mm. that's hilarious, and oh damn, Tanya's gone. That's yeah. the end of her. Uh, predictions, hopes, and concerns. I'll start. Who would you like from this cast to mm. see return in season three? Because it won't be Tanya. But I like the idea that from every season, one person goes on. Um, I'm. I know mine's Daphne, a hundred percent Daphne. Yeah, yeah. I could see Daphne and Cameron bringing along another couple at another location or, and doing or their the same kids. thing. I could see them coming yeah. with their kids. I could also see there was a thought that like maybe Daphne could come with some friends, but she pretty explicitly said she doesn't really have any female friends. So mm-hmm. um, maybe a maybe sister or mom. something like that, yeah. or a mom or something. something. Like yeah, yeah, that could be cool. That could be nice. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I do definitely want more Daphne, but I it always makes me nervous because that depiction of her is so wonderful and perfect, and I love sure. every second of it. I'd be worried about seeing more that I, I don't know, maybe like not the mystery or like my fascination with her would mm-hmm. dissipate. Though I don't really have that concern because Mike White has proven himself time and time again, so I'm, I'm not really that worried about it. Portia was another popular opinion I noted as well that she wouldn't be a bad option to return to. I think there's mm-hmm. more with her storyline you could do or where she at in life. Obviously, she's going to have to change a career after this. Mm. And then <laughs> um, uh, maybe they can even tie in, if they wanted to, not saying they have to do this, but I think 
there'd be some interest in seeing what happened to Greg. And so yeah. maybe through Porsche, you could figure out what did Greg get the money? Is he going to get away with this sort of scenario? Well, Mike mm. White has hinted that that storyline will continue in the next season. It will continue? Okay, yeah. cool. So the, the things he's said about the next season is that um, it's going to be about death and Eastern religion. So yeah. I'm guessing I know it's he was going doing to be location a- looking through um, Asia, is yeah. what I was saying. So one thought I had is maybe Harper and Ethan might be the returning characters because obviously Ethan is a um, half-Japanese actor and maybe he might be going to explore his roots, maybe? Japan would be such a good location. I would Mm. love... That was my next question, is where would you like to see it set? Yeah. Asia, yeah. Singapore would be a really good option, I think, in terms of like the luxury aspect of Singapore. Mm-hmm. More of a uh, metropolis sort of type or, or cityscape type place, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. but still with a lot of luxury there. But I love the idea of Japan, like at a some sort of Ryokan or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> could be really, really cool. Um, and talk about like a, a you know a culture with all like the. You know the social the social yes. dynamics are so yes. different there than anywhere yes. else on earth. So there's so much to explore there. Or Korea, you could do South Korea or something like that mm. as well. That could work. Um, I also friend of the show Cam Williams. He's been campaigning that should be set in Australia. Like they go to Uluru <laughs> or something like that, sort of like a glamping situation out mm. in the outback. Which I don't hate that idea as well. I think that could be a fun. I still do it. But, like, I think this is him trying to, like, do the Olympic Committee thing and try and get them to set it in Australia so he can be involved, which fair enough. Yeah, yeah, it would make me nervous having a white American write about what kind of social dynamics might be out. I mean, he in- did Hawaii already, which obviously is American, but yes. still, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, I don't know. It, there's you'd there's have a lot to, You'd there. have to get a... Stra- you'd, yeah. That's the thing. He writes these all on his own. Yeah. If you were smart, you'd get some Australian, some Indigenous writers involved yeah. to make this work. Yeah. Um, but that's maybe you should do the same thing if you're going to do something set in Japan. Like oh, absolutely. Italy yeah, is yeah. is a certain step, but at least it's European. Yeah. You go, you start going <laughs> to the east, and like mm. that's a different kettle of fish. You got to be yes. pretty careful with a lot of cultural stuff that we just like don't understand. Totally, yeah. totally. Um, who would you like to be in it? Do you have any like? Actors from that haven't been the White Lotus yet that you think would be good on this show? Hilary Duff. (laughs) (laughs) As much as I love our girl, H. Duff, I don't think she's got the chops for a White Lotus. I'm afraid. I I think you're underestimating. I I think she's got it in her. Look, you know if she fucking succeeded and pulled out like... A Daphne, I, you know, I would be giving a standing ovation for every episode, Paul. I want yes. her to succeed, um, but I'm, I'm not sure that that would be the case. Um, I'm just trying to think of like character actresses that people might, that like, come to mind straight away for me are like Alison Brie and Betty Gilpin. They come. Oh, to mind Betty Gilpin. Up. Betty no. Gilpin would have a great time on the White Lotus. She really would. Um, Sandra O oh could be mm-hmm. very good on the White Lotus mm-hmm. as well. Um, Show yo. Shell Yo, mm-hmm. wonderful. Uh, though she is like literally in every single thing coming out. Like, <laughs> as give she her a should break. Be. As she should be. Um, no, now is the time to strike. She's been waiting her whole career for this moment. It's happening. Let's also get her in the White Lotus. Um, it's it's funny. I, I 
when I was thinking of like character actresses and stuff, I was like, oh, I want like Molly Shannon to be. And I was like, oh, she was in season one. She was, yeah. <laughs> like, but okay. that being said, like she could come back. Let's bring her back. Could bring I her love, back. Love, love, love her so, so much. Okay, what about like a Pedro Pascal or like a, I don't know, who else could you get? Um, who's the guy that was playing um, Spike in the Cowboy Bebop? Um, uh, John Cho. John Cho. Um, somehow get Martin Short and oh, uh, Steve, Steve Martin. Martin Short. <laughs> Actually, let's just do a crossover <gasps> with Only Murders in the Building. Um, oh, my goodness. Get Selena Gomez in there as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> work I'm out. all about that. I love that idea. You could. Yeah. The thing is, there are so many names that if I hear them, I'm like, I will be excited by. Yes. It's like they just, at this point, just seem to be attracting some great talent. It's like I said, very similar to how I feel about Knives Out. Like, mm. they just, and same with Glass Onion, just incredible talent just lining up for this. And I think that will continue to happen. One season, like a six-week shoot, in some luxurious hotel seeing an amazing part of the world. Like, mm-hmm. why the fuck wouldn't you do yeah. that with a great Mike White script? Absolutely. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to sign up for that. Actually, I just thought there's two actors in Sarah Hollywood right now that are having their career resurgence. Mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser. Oh, yeah. Yep. And Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan I saw I, getting yeah. around online. And I wouldn't hate yes. it. Yes. wouldn't hate it. What if yeah. we got a... Uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Rachel... So what's her name from Rachel uh, McAdams? Rachel McAdams and Lindsay Lohan, like reunion. back together reunion. <laughs> Not playing those same characters, but reunion. <laughs> there is uh, you know, the the list is infinite, and like I said, this show could go for a hundred seasons, and you could just keep doing it forever, and it'd be great. I think. Mm. Um, awesome! Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes. That's B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me nowhere. <laughs> Paul. Uh, just follow the Swapcast podcast on all the social medias. Uh, Instagram's probably where we're most present so um yeah have a look and we'll always update you on when the new episodes are up and remind us what's the next the next episode gonna be next episode is uh michael keaton turning into a snowman in jack frost that's Uh, right but also before i go um i just want to say a big thank you um to both of you for letting me be a small part of your wonderful show um i've loved every time i get to be on it i love listening to the show even when i'm not on it um like i would be a fan even if i wasn't involved and you've done such an amazing job with this podcast um and like the dedication the, the fact that you've watched so much fucking TV. 200 like, seasons by the end of next Hats this next off month. to you two. <laughs> like, it, it is it is a feat that you guys should be proud of. So, um, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. And, and yet, somehow you. we haven't watched as much TV as you. Like, you come on <laughs> to after every hot topic list of, have you watched this show? And I'm like, no, no. And, like, you've got 20 shows that you've been watching. I don't know how you do it. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Upload's still terrible. In the meantime, thank you. Oh, next episode, we'll be back with our very last review, which will be Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. It is finally time. Warts and all, we're going to talk about that. And there's a lot of warts now, especially warts have grown over time. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. 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 So, 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.